Welcome to Clint Farm Pod. In this episode, Dennis Velasco speaks with Aaron Kesselheim of Brigham and Women's Hospital. They will discuss the 21st Century Cures Act. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Kesselheim. So let's get to the questions. What is the best thing about the 21st Century Cures legislation? Well, thanks for uh, inviting me. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you about this. I think the best thing about the 21st Century Cures legislation by far is the first part of the bill, which provides additional funding for the National Institutes of Health. I think it amounts to about uh, an increase of about 2 or 3% per year for the uh, next uh, few years. So it's not a lot of funding, but um, it does. Uh, it is in contrast to the recent trends in funding, uh, government funding for NIH, which is, um, has been, uh, you know, flat or at least uh, decreasing. So, you know, and in fact, a couple of years ago, there was this sequestration um, issue that, uh, you know, did, uh, kept uh, NIH from, uh, from receiving funds uh, before the, to allow the government to balance its budgets. Um, and uh, you know this bill theoretically would just replace what was lost in that in that sequestration amount. And then there's another additional fund um, that the bill sets up. Um, but in general, you know, I think that this is important because uh, the, you know the evidence shows that uh, NIH-funded research um, is the source of the you know a lot of the most transformative and important medical uh, you know drug innovations that we have um, in the U.S. I mean, if you look through um, the history of the last at least you know the last few decades and certainly before that. Um, you know, the most important drugs uh, that have come, you know, that have come to fruition in a lot of the, in a lot of different medical fields, all have their um, their basis in um, NIH-funded basic science research um, describing, um, you know, the the the. Uh, receptors and the 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 you know the the pathways that these drugs interact and actually go so far as to as to you know prove to describe proof of concept um and you know and show that you know and show that the drugs have this have a transformative potential so i think that enhancing the um you know nih funding um through the 21st century cures act um you know even a little bit i think can make an important impact on um, leading us to, uh, you know, the important cures of tomorrow. Okay, that sounds excellent. Um, so can you tell us about some provisions of the bill that we should be concerned about? Sure. Uh, you know, I think that a, a lot of the rest of the bill, besides the increase in NIH funding, concerns itself with um, FDA approval standards and, in general, uh, lowers those approval standards in some um, particular context. So, for example, uh, you know, in the in the case of the of the drug approval system, the bill establishes an accelerated approval pathway, making it easier for new drugs to be approved on the basis uh, of its effect on a surrogate measure such as a lab test or an imaging study, rather than actual patient outcomes. Um, in addition, the FDA is instructed to develop a process for approving new drugs for existing uses on the basis of lower quality evidence, including experience and observational studies and registries, rather 
rather than clinical trials. Um, and in, in, in addition, manufacturers are permitted to submit only summaries of data from the trials rather than giving the FDA the opportunity to review the data in general. So in addition to, and in addition to this kind of overall um, provisions that relate to these accelerated pathways or these supplemental approval pathways, there are some parts of the bill that deal with particular areas of of, uh, of of innovation. So one section of the bill deals with antibiotic approvals and, in a, and, and sets up a, um, a system through which antibiotics can be approved on the basis of, of extremely low uh, um, clinical testing. So it allows the approval of antimicrobials based on preliminary uncontrolled clinical studies in small numbers of patients um, or their effects on laboratory data um, and just, you know, relies on the fact that these drugs will have a label on, you know, a, 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 a note on their label saying that they are approved for a limited population to try to prevent their, um, you know, uh, unnecessary prescribing. In fact, you know, these drugs will be approved and we won't know what what they'll we, we don't know if they're going to work we don't know if they're going to be safe or not and and um and yet you know physicians and patients are going to be expected to try to make decisions about whether or not these drugs um, are appropriate for them and in addition the bill provides a, a financial bonus for hospitals for administering these new antibiotics so you know there's even there's even incentives to try to use the drugs that we don't know and in in perhaps the very worst sentence um of the entire bill um, there is then a sentence at the end of the antibiotic section allowing the secretary of HHS to apply this same bypass track to other drug categories if the public health would benefit, um, which provides an opening for future administrations to weaken FDA oversight further outside of the field of antibiotics. Um, and then moving away from drugs, there are sections on medical devices. So, you know, one section allows manufacturers of high-risk medical devices to pay third-party corporations to assess whether the company can be relied upon to determine the safety and effectiveness of changes to the devices instead of the FDA. Um, another section would lower standards for high-risk device approval, allowing the FDA to approve devices on the basis of case studies of small numbers of patients or poorly conducted studies, regardless of their rigor, as long as those studies were published in any in any uh, journal. Um, so, you know, these are the sections. Uh, these are sections of the bill that that reduce FDA approval standards, and and I think these are, um, you know, some of the more concerning features of the bill. There's actually another part of the bill that does not relate to the FDA at all that I also wanted to highlight as a very concerning. Uh, provision of the bill that reduces transparency about company payments to doctors. So we currently have this um, Sunshine Act um, that requires manufacturers to report to the government payments that they make to physicians. And one part of the 21st Century Cures Bill would exempt, exempt manufacturers from having to report payments made to doctors related to medical education expenses, such as speaker fees and conference attendance and educational-related gifts. And what it basically does is exclude um, another whole swath of payments from being uh, reported to this database, which would you know, make this database less um, less reliable um, and would, you know, move move us back away from the transparency that this Physician Payment Sunshine Act um, has, uh, you know, has has created, um, you know, in a, in a very novel and important way. Yeah, a lot of those are worrisome points. Uh, thank you for bringing those up. So, why does Congress think that changing FDA standards will give us 21st century cures? And do you think the FDA blocks innovation? 
Well, I think that this is a common myth that um, there are all of these really important new, uh, you know, cures that are that are sitting out there that are just waiting for this nameless government bureaucrat to uh, to approve, and, and that's just simply not the case. Um, you know, the FDA, when a drug is is effective and safe, the FDA is the fastest drug regulatory agency in the world in terms of getting new drugs um, to patients, and the FDA standards. Um, are there to ensure that drugs are are tested so that we know how they work and you know wh- whether they work and how they work and wh- you know under what circumstances they're safe and what circumstances they're not safe and we if we didn't have the FDA standards in place that information you know simply would not be developed and and that's that's a fact because in in his, you know historically before the FDA standards were in place that is in fact what happened we had all kinds of of drugs out there and you know physicians uh and patients were you know had a difficult time determining which drugs were effective and which drugs were not effective and so you know the FDA's um you know standards are uh, you know, exist to ensure that, um, you know, we get innovation that works, not just innovation. Nobody wants just innovation. People want innovation that's actually um, going to help them. And in fact, the FDA has uh, very flexible standards. So if a, you know, if a drug is, um, you know, intended for some, you know, important unmet medical need, there are ways that the FDA can, you know, facilitate its approval um, and, you know, re- require less data, you know, given the fact that that patients have such a dire need for it. Um, there are, you know, the FDA can be flexible around um, drugs for rare diseases, understanding that a drug that's intended to treat a thousand patients, um, you know, who have a disease in the United States, as opposed to a million patients who have the disease in the United States, may be harder to, you know, conduct the same kind of, um, you know, prospective randomized trial. And the FDA has the authority to, um, you know, be flexible in how it applies its standards, and in fact, um, is quite flexible all the time. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, there is absolutely no evidence uh, of a relationship between, um, you know, of, of the uh, of the, this sort of kind of idea that the FDA blocks innovation. And in fact, what we've seen throughout history is that when the FDA um, when, when legal changes are made to give the FDA greater powers, uh, you know, over um, over evaluating innovation that in the years after that we actually see an explosion in innovation because what it does is it helps um you know direct resources to the most important and effective drugs okay so what are some important issues related to the FDA that the 21st century cures bill doesn't address well, the 21st Century Cures Bill is a very myopic view of the FDA that is focused nearly exclusively on approval of new drugs. And there are many things that the FDA, um, you know, many aspects of FDA regulation around the, um, the the prescription drug and medical device market that are extremely important to patients um, that the 21st Century Cures Bill simply ignores because of its single-minded focus on uh, on the new drug approval market, which is you know what the pharmaceutical and biotech industry um, predominantly cares about um, and and in fact you know they're they are the ones um, in their lobbying are the ones who are behind uh, behind this bill um, you know there are many other um, aspects of you know you know policy fda policy that that are you know worth addressing and worth considering that just aren 't in the twenty first century cures bill at all so for example, over this past summer we 've seen a lot of 
discussion around the generic drug market and the fact that there are some essential generic drugs that are being, uh, you know, where the prices are, are are jumping through the roof because competition in those areas has fallen down. So, you know, 85% of all drugs prescribed by by um, received by patients these days are generic drugs, and yet there's, um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you know, potential problems with uh, the, the, you know, competition in the generic drug market that could use some policy-making attention um, and some legislative attention. But those, you know, simply are not in, um, are not in the, the 21st century cures bill, um, you know, but yet are still just as essential for cures um, and, and treatment of patients. Um, so that's one thing that I would say, and you know, and another another important issue is the idea of, of drug safety surveillance. You know, if we are going to try to get new drugs to market, um, you know, for various conditions such as new antibiotics or whatever, um, you know, we need to make sure that we have a vigorous um, safety surveillance system in place so that we can. You know, continue to evaluate these drugs in real time, and then pull the drugs off the market if they're not shown to work or shown to be unsafe. And in fact, we don't just currently don't have that system um, that is up to snuff to do that. And um, you know, so there are a lot of uh, you know interventions that could be developed um, and applied to try to make the FDA post-market safety surveillance system more effective and efficient. Um, and again, that is also just not featured in the 21st Century Cures Bill, um, you know, due to its its um, myopic uh, focus on um, on this this issue of uh, of new drug approval. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Tesselheim, for sharing your thoughts on this on this uh, CBT podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. That was Aaron Kesselheim, and you can find his article at onlinelibrary.wiley.com. Thank you for listening. ClinFarm Pod is a co-production of the American Society for Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics and Wiley. It was recorded and hosted by Dennis Velasco and directed, edited, and coordinated by Joe Troiano. All opinions of this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors. 